This is uh, Paul Schneiderman today on the 118th edition of the Sports Untold podcast, also on Rainier Avenue Radio. My special guest today is Seth Everett. Seth is an American sports host, columnist, and sports commentator. Seth, I'll get back to you in a minute, I promise. Um, my podcast is also now on Spotify, YouTube, Rumble, Amazon, Google, iTunes, Podbean, and you can go to sportsuntoldpodcast.com. We're live on Facebook Live today, and this interview will also be uh, I'd also be an audio version of this interview. I encourage my listeners to like, comment, and subscribe and go to my show website, as I just mentioned, sportsuntoldpodcast.com. Seth, uh, let me give you a little more of an introduction to the listeners today. Uh, Seth Everett's been a sports commentator, columnist, reporter, and host, I believe, for over a quarter century now in the sports world. Uh, Seth, uh, please let me know if I state your background, that I state your background properly. I don't want to bungle it at all. I had one guess where I did not state the person's background properly, and I learned a lesson there, so make sure I got this right. Uh, Seth uh, hosts three podcasts that have over 100,000 listeners weekly. Um, Seth has worked for ESPN, Fox Sports Radio, uh, and other stations and networks. He's also uh, worked as an adjunct professor at Syracuse University, good school. Uh, for many people in the Northwest, this is a Seattle-based show, although we're, we're trying to do some national interviews. Uh, many people remember Seth when he was a host and reporter at Seattle's KGR AM 950 radio. Now KGR is uh, known as FM 93.3 KGR. And uh, Seth, I, I have a little line for you, probably never heard before. We can add you the famous list of people who have lived in Seattle. You and Ray Charles have that in common. You both had, yeah. had Seattle <laughs> yeah. stops, so I can... We can put you in with Ray Charles. I had to throw that in there. Uh, <laughs> Seth's podcasts, I believe, are Sports with Friends, Hall of Justice, and Tech Stream with Shelly Palmer. Uh, Seth, I really appreciate you coming on the Sports Untold podcast, also on Rainier Avenue Radio. And uh, did I get most of the introduction uh, stated accurately? Uh, yeah, no, you did. Uh, thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. Yeah, I, uh, Jason Barrett and I, uh, I wrote a column on sports media for a while. Uh, but it just conflicted when they needed the pot, the, the, the column, I couldn't write it. <laughs> so we had a mutual parting of the ways, but other than that, uh, yeah, I still do my podcasts. I, I broadcast with iHeartMedia right now. Uh, I do a lot of stuff with them. So that's kind of my day job and the podcasts are kind of my side hustle. Uh, Seth, I'm going to start with probably a question you did not anticipate today. We talk on all sorts of stuff on sports untold. Um, pickleball is the fastest growing sport in America. Sports Illustrated just had a story about pickleball and its growth. Founded in Bainbridge Island, Washington, as you probably know, it's across the, the sound from Seattle. Um, should the mainstream sports media cover pickleball more on the phenomenon that uh, is going on right now with the sport? Um, the, the phenomenon seems to be in the playing of it, not the watching of it. And uh, given the metrics that you can see with streaming, um, if you are looking for pickleball, you'll find it. And then if enough people are finding it, you know, when you say, should the media, if you're talking about linear media, you know, linear media is crumbling before our very eyes. So, uh, what has transpired in media is it's really a la carte. You can watch anything you really want to, uh, in today's day and age. So it, whether it's pickleball, whether it's rugby, uh, I'm a big, I, you know, last year I, I, I adopted, I'm a big uh, Premier League supporter mm -hmm. and it was very easy and rather inexpensive. And uh, I get all the games, uh, you know, come on my phone. You know, they, they tell me when they're playing and, you know, living on the East Coast, those games are usually 730 in the morning. It's perfect. Um, it's been phenomenal. So uh, 
you know, pickleball or anything else. It's, it's, it's really what has happened is people will find whatever they want. Gotcha. There, I see there's a pickleball hall of fame now and I, it, it's, it's getting a little more recognition, but I, maybe they'll have a better voting process. There, it may, maybe better than the baseball hall of fame voting process. Right. Right. Maybe there won't be a character clause, which seems to screw everything up. Right. <laughs> okay. Well, um, anyhow, I thought I'd start with a little off the wall question okay. on pickleball, but it's, it's growing as a sport and I, I and I wanted to kind of get your take. Seth, um, you have three podcasts. Take a minute and tell us about your, your three podcasts that are going on with you right now. Oh, wow. Now you're talking about me. It's like talking about my children. Um, Sports with Friends uh, was something that came out. I got involved in podcasting a long time ago. Um, I don't take credit for coming up with the idea, but Major League Baseball deserves a lot of the credit. I was working for Major League Baseball and uh, they were developing MLB.com at the time. And one of the things they were doing is I had a radio show uh, with the late, great Daryl Hamilton. Uh, who's a former baseball player, who's my best friend. And uh, they wanted to, to help market our radio show by taking 30 to 40 minutes of it, making it an MP3 for this hot new device called the iPod. And I remember MLB actually met with Apple uh, about how to make these MP3s accessible. This is all before we ever heard the word podcast. Um, so podcasting was something that was uh, very, very near and dear to my heart. Um, when I was at ESPN, I did a podcast called Baseball Today. And then in 2015, you know, fast forwarding now 20 years, uh, I wanted to create my own podcast. And originally it was going to be called uh, From the Press Box. I was going to interview a bunch of writers. And then uh, Daryl and I started talking about it and we were going to try to recreate our old uh, radio show. And by doing that, uh, we were going to uh, just change the podcast to, you know, what our radio show was called. And then in uh, June of 2015, he was tragically killed. And and when that happened, um, I was going to give it up. And people were pushing me and said, hey, you know, you've been doing podcasting a long time. You should really have your own. And I said, I only want to talk to my friends. And so the story goes is that my mother at the time was obsessed with the, the, the iPhone game words with friends. And so that's how I came up with sports with friends. And the original concept was just, I would just talk to my friends cause that was healing to me. Uh, it was a great way to, to, to properly mourn uh, the loss of my friend. And then what happened is it kind of evolved into uh, well, a lot of PR guys are my friends and uh, they were, constantly pitching their clients and you know there there's it's just it's gone on we just finished uh we just released our 358th episode and um you know eli manning's been on five times martin brodeur has been on twice uh no no martin brodeur has been on once ken griffey jr has been on twice um and we'll put broadcasters writers athletes former athletes we've had over a half a dozen hall of famers on the podcast and it's, wow. it's a lot of fun um and then hall of justice was a very different thing um you know i come from a sports radio background and in the 90s uh before i got to seattle uh i remember being told that superheroes were never something men could talk about and i had that that idea um and then in 2015 the same year i created sports with friends um I had a, a freelance job where I was moderating uh, at a bunch of Comic-Cons. Okay. I was hosting things at Comic-Cons. 
And what I found was, you know, it's it's the superhero genre, but there's a lot of adults that are artists and writers and and actors and directors and all these interesting people with stories to tell and no platform to tell them. So the idea behind the Hall of Justice was uh, the, the slogan is, if you're old enough to know what the Hall of Justice is, you're our demographic. And okay. it's really just for grownups. That, that, that was the whole concept of it. Um, I just thought it was it was something that uh, has been really, really remarkable. I've had some really big guests, Ben Affleck, uh, Samuel L. Jackson, wow. uh, Kevin Smith's been on it. Um, just some some really neat people. And uh, also we do uh, reviews. We do uh, I have like a stable of like five or six really good industry friends who help me with the reviews. You know, so when a movie comes out, you know, when when Thor comes out in a couple of weeks, we'll review it on the podcast. And, you know, we just do that for Star Wars and all stuff in the genre. Uh, but we treat it seriously. And, you know, the, the concept is if you treat it with the same gravitas and passion that you treated sports radio then people would gravitate toward it and that's happened we've seen that you know with the download numbers and and, and such like that so uh it's, it's it's been a labor of love it's a it's a huge passion tech stream is something i started with this guy a uh, great guy shelly palmer he's a uh, tech expert and uh, over covid i got to know shelly a little bit and what i realized was that the, the types of tech podcasts that were out there were either super nerdy, like super high tech or like for dummies. And I said, there's got to be something in between. And so that was the idea. And, you know, we've tackled some pretty interesting things this week. Uh, we did an episode on uh, Congress is trying to take down TikTok. Why? You know, that kind of thing and, 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 and stuff like that. So TechStream is uh, it, it's been really fun. It's newer, so it doesn't have the same, you know, audience you know, that the other two shows, the other two shows are, are, you know, going up on eight years old. And so, you know, they kind of have a following that tech stream hopefully will get one day. Real, you're a real podcast veteran, Seth. And, and I love a show, the name of your show, Hall of Justice. It sounds like a legal podcast kind of. So it's Yeah. A well, it, it's very funny that the, the whole idea, you know, I have a, a lot of history with, uh, with Prince and the whole idea I thought was when I named it the Hall of Justice for, for your listeners that don't know, the Hall of Justice was the, the, the building where the Super Friends hung out in the 1970s. Right. Okay. And D.C. owns that name. And so I always thought that if the podcast ever had an audience, we would get a cease and desist. And what's really funny that that has happened um, in 2016, Zack Snyder came on and he was directing Batman Superman. DC people started following me on Twitter and they know about the Hall of Justice and no one has stopped me. And I have a logo. I have artwork that calls the show the podcast formerly known as like mm -hmm. that. That's the Prince connection. So it was going to be the podcast formerly known as Hall of Justice. We were going to do that. We were ready to go. And it's just we're up. At, you know, we've done almost 300 episodes and nobody said a word. And and you know, Warner Brothers helps me get guests and they're hysterical because they don't pay me to do it and I don't pay them. It's it's all working out. You know, my producer, Lucius, has a good question. He okay. wants to know if you can define what linear media is. Good question. Linear media is uh, the traditional radio and television. Um, 
that's been labeled uh, linear media. It's cable, it's uh, FM and AM, it, th those kinds of things. Digital media is more uh, streaming and uh, podcasts and things like okay. that. I, okay. I've kind of okay. transitioned out of, I still do work with iHeart, um, but even the, the stuff that I do with iHeart is more of a digital nature um, where you're submitting things to a server as okay. opposed to, you know, going live and taking calls and things like that. It's just, um, to me, the, the spoken word is far from uh, suffering. I think the spoken word is, is growing exponentially. I think traditional radio is falling apart and I wasn't going to sit idly by and wait for that. Gotcha. Well, you, you, you definitely have some interesting things going on. And, and I think it's neat, Seth, that although you're known as a sports guy, you're obviously branching out into other subjects as well. So it's. Uh, Thanks. Uh, I, I, you know, I was always um, interested in all these things. It was just a matter of um, being able to talk about it in, in my job. And, you know, it's very funny because uh, when I was at KJR, um, the first Star Wars prequel came out. And I was there at Cinerama in downtown Seattle, like waiting for it um, with uh, with Softy. And, and the two of us were sitting there like total idiots. Uh, I, and I just remember back then um, saying we never talked about it on the radio. We know that was such a great experience. And the, the fact, you know, and I don't I don't have an ego. I'm not bragging about numbers, but the fact that thousands of people listen to a podcast where I'll review Obi-Wan Kenobi. It's pretty stinking amazing. It's, it's 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 pretty remarkable, and the fact that anyone advertises on those shows makes me crack up because I would do those shows for free. Fun, fun stuff. Uh, this is Paul Schneier, and host of the Sports Untold podcast, also on Rainier Avenue Radio with uh, media veteran Seth Everett. And I encourage my listeners to like, comment, subscribe, and go to sportsuntoldpodcast.com. Seth, you know, you mentioned your friendship with the late Daryl Hamilton, and I've been following you on Facebook for years, and I follow you on Twitter. Um, so sorry to hear about his, his passing. Can you share a little bit more about Daryl and your friendship with Daryl Hamilton? Uh, well, Daryl um, played in the, in the big leagues, um, and I started covering baseball in 1996. Um, he was just a good interview. I mean, that's, that's how I knew him. Um, he was unceremoniously uh, uh, cut by the Mets in 2001. And by 2003, uh, a friend of his tried to get him involved with MLB radio. I had been doing a show at MLB radio and then they partnered us up. Uh, he, we just hit it off. Um, he's a guy, we're, we're polar opposites. Um, you know, I'm a Jewish kid from New Jersey and he's a, a six foot four, you know, Southern Baptist from Baton Rouge, Louisiana. Um, we just, we couldn't have been more different, but we got each other. We got our humor. We, we, we had, I mean, I could do your whole episode just telling Daryl stories. I mean, sure, they're, I they're just yeah. hysterical. And we had a great time. And then uh, the league, uh, Bud Selig uh, caught our show and uh, offered Daryl a position in baseball operations. And that's the only reason why our show ever ended. And we got to know each other differently after the show was over. And I thought our friendship got better uh, after uh, we stopped working together, really. And then uh, in 2014, the year before he died, which I didn't know, he got a job uh, traveling with the Brewers. And I was traveling with the Mets. And so what we were crisscrossing 
all through the country. And so we would text each other every day, you know, where are you today? What are you doing today? And, you know, what are you seeing? What are you doing? And um, it was like, it was so strange because uh, we were literally talking every day, every day. I, I didn't go to the ballpark without a conversation with him. And uh, then, in, in, you know, for it all to change, I mean, uh, he, he died on Father's Day. And oh. uh, uh, ironically, uh, I was in the air and I had stopped. You know how I had a stopover. I was in Sacramento, California that morning because of that Comic-Con job. And I was in Houston for a two-hour layover. And I thought about calling him. You know, but it was Father's Day, so he should be with his kids. You know, sure. I like that. That's what you do. And it's, you know, with technology, the way it is, just because I'm in Houston doesn't mean he can come see me. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like there was there was no reason to. And it turns out, you know, when we got the police report, uh, that was the exact time he was killed. Oh, um, I was in Houston uh, when it happened. Uh, ironically, I was recording an episode of Sports with Friends. Um, it was an uh, well, it wasn't called Sports with Friends at the time. Uh, it was the press box show. I was interviewing a columnist who wrote an article about Alex Rodriguez, who I can't stand. And he hates just as much. Yeah, he, you know, he and I have pretty long history. Uh, starting back from our days in Seattle. And um, she wrote a column about him hitting well and how this is a big uh, uh, reclamation project for him. And I said, well, uh, can you curse on this podcast? Sure, sure. Okay. So I, so my, my point of having this woman on was um, just because he's hitting a baseball doesn't make him any less an asshole. And that was the podcast. And, it, and, and the funny part about it is, we were three quarters of the way through the episode when I started seeing something on Twitter. I saw sad day for Mets fans. The Brewers tweeted something weird. I, I was like, what's going on? And then MLB network called me because he was supposed to be on MLB network that morning. We had actually had plans that Wednesday uh, and he died on a Sunday and it was just a, it was a, a life changing event. I mean, it was not something I, I, I don't think I've still recovered from it. And, um, I, you know, I think about him every day and, um, you know, I try to carry on. I mean, he would be, uh, he would be a little dis, uh, d disheartened by what's gone on in our country. Uh, we don't need to talk about that, but uh, he would. <laughs> um, and, you know, it's just funny the way life goes, but, uh, you know, to be able to, to be able to talk about him, it just, uh, it's, it's so much fun. And everybody who hears about him, wishes they met him and that's that's what oh I mean. my gosh just hearing these stories he 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 seems like a real man and i wish i wish yeah, i knew him you know just but thank you for sharing about a little more daryl and um i could definitely talk about the whole throughout the whole show but i do want to hit up other <laughs> topics but thanks for thanks for sharing um it's always kind of tough seth when you do a show or a podcast a transition from a, a topic like a, about a passing to another topic but bear <laughs> with me bear with me as i do that um the Supreme Court made a major ruling recently in that Joe Kennedy um, school prayer case. And it's definitely a constitutional law story, but it's also a sports story. Sports Illustrated just did a story on it. Um, so there is a high school sports angle. Um, feel free to comment on the Supreme Court decision. But in general, what do you think, Seth, is someone who's been covering sports for so many decades, 
just about prayer sessions in general in high school sports environments. Give, give me your, your, your thoughts on that. I know a lot of my friends and people I know have totally different opinions in the case, but give me your thoughts on it. Wow. Um, honestly, uh, I think it has no place in it. Um, I think that, you know, prayer is something between a person and their whatever God they believe in. And I think that uh, religion is something I have great respect for and uh, know many religious people of different religions, but I don't think it should cross over. And I think that religion should have no bearing on uh, anything in public. Um, and I just don't think it's, it's, it, it's right. Um, and I thought the court um, really botched one. <laughs> Well, what one thought I want to add on was it wasn't the worst thing they'd done that week. How about that? Well, I I, I understand. I think we're probably probably coming out similar on on some of these, these recent Supreme Court decisions. But you know, one thing about that situation is I think in life, Seth, sometimes you have to apply the shoe on the other foot test. And I just wonder how some people would react who are very supportive of Coach Kennedy's prayers if it had been a Hindu prayer or a Muslim prayer or a Jewish prayer, or what if it had been a secular humanist gathering what if there's an assistant coach that wants to get players together and and promote an atheist message i don't know i just think this is opening up some doors that well i just that's what i'm saying i I think it has no place and it shouldn't matter what uh religion it is um i'm not anti-catholic i'm not anti-christian i'm not anti-muslim i'm not anti-anything and um i i respect people's uh uh beliefs you know i think that uh, a lot of uh, religion has led to a lot of radicalism and that always alarms me. And so I just, I, I like to keep it separate. I like, to, you know, I don't think it, it, it belongs. I will tell you, um, you know, just to, to make it more of a sports story. Um, I find Tim Tebow to be a fraud and he's probably the biz- biggest example of, of somebody who uses religion to gain a following. Um, this was a guy who, uh, six or seven years ago tried to speak at a church in texas that was notably anti-black anti-gay and anti-jewish and when i heard that i became anti-tebow and he never spoke at the church uh because people realized what a backlash he would get but that just shows you that it's not about the religion it's more about the image and it's it's fraudulent and you know (laughs) the fact that teams have signed him i thought the new york mets were shameless when they signed him because they knew he had a following. I thought that was a joke. I think he's on television because he had a following that is religious based. I think it's a, it's wrong. And so this is, again, if, if it's important to have religion as part of sports, then your result is going to be Tim Tebow. Wow. Lot there, lot there. I wasn't aware of that Tim Tebow story. Um, lot there, but anyway, I want to hit on that joke. He, he, he's on a list of guys that I would never put on my podcast. I would never, Tim Tebow was sitting next to me right now. He, 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 I I don't want to hear what he has to say. I don't respect what he says. You wouldn't want to just hear his point of view on your show. You would not. Wow. Okay. You, you have kind of a cancel culture view of Tim Tebow. No, no, it's not. It's not that it's, it's not that I just, I saw enough of, of what he was trying to do. And I'm not saying he can't be on, anywhere he wants it's just my choice not to watch that's not cancel culture. please paul understand that's not cancel culture you know what i talked about earlier is the a la carte nature in which you can consume 
sports. Well, I can choose not to watch. I don't watch the NFL pregame shows. doesn't mean they're canceled. Fair enough. I understand. Fair enough. I just uh, wanted to expand on your, your thoughts on sure. TV a little bit. Um, I've asked these two questions to many guests, and I get great answers. Um, <laughs> who is a living sports figure that you would love to interview? It could be a commissioner, a player, somebody in the sports world. And who's a deceased sports figure in history you would love to have chatted with or interviewed? That I haven't? You mean that I have? No, you can add someone. You can mention someone you've you've chatted with, but uh, feel free to mention a a living sports figure you have not chatted with that you'd love to chat with. A living sports figure that I have not interviewed that I would like to. I know you're not going to answer Tim Tebow that question. So No, no. um, Nor would I... uh, I'm trying to think who, who have I not interviewed? You know, I never sat down and did a proper interview with Ichiro Suzuki. Um, I covered him from a distance, but when I was covering him, he, it was the beginning of his career and he, his English was pretty bad. Um, and a couple of my good buddies, you know, Mike Cameron uh, once told me what a great guy he was. And so I would just off the top of my head, I would think uh, Ichiro, I would love to sit down and just talk shop with him and, uh, I would, you know, that would be great to have him on the podcast. Uh, it's funny. I, I see your background there. Um, probably if, if there was a sports athlete, uh, that's deceased that I would want to talk to, uh, I would be Lou Gehrig. Um, you know, Lou Gehrig was a very influential person in my early life. Um, my grandfather, um, uh, uh, died when, when he was, boy, a lot of, not a lot of death on this, this episode. Uh, but my grandfather died when I was young and when I was 13 years old and he had a Lou Gehrig's disease. And so when I was young, I researched a lot of what he was and what he stood for. I saw the movie pride of the Yankees. I was a Yankee fan when I grew up, not anymore. <laughs> um, but, uh, uh, Lou Gehrig was very, uh, uh, consequential when I played freshman year, I played high school baseball. I was number four. I played first base. So yeah, Luke Gehrig was a big uh, part. I'm trying to think of, of dead people that I've interviewed, uh, you know, that, that or that I would want to interview that I had uh, probably him. You know, you're the first person to mention Ichiro Suzuki as a living sports figure. You love to chat with great answer. He's going to be in the hall of fame one day. Yeah. And you're actually the first guest Seth, who's answered Lou Gehrig. Oh, really? So, um, so those so are, it's always fun to get a couple of new answers. And Lou Gehrig would be high on my list. I, uh, Jackie Robinson would be high on my list. Hank Greenberg, some of these deceased baseball players and some of the, the Negro League baseball players were fascinating to chat with. So, I'll tell you a funny story. Uh, I interviewed a Yogi Berra once. Oh, wow. And um, somebody played a trick on me and uh, got them all riled up. And I, they, they knew it would get them all riled up. Um, there's a great play in the 1955 uh, World Series where Jackie Robinson's trying to score from home and he's tagged out by Yogi Berra and he was called safe. And I, you know, we, I, I knew that, but that's before my time. You know, I wasn't alive at that time. It's part of history. I've, I've read my history. Um, we were at Yankee Stadium. I was working for Major League Baseball and uh, our task that day was to get a bunch of players to talk about the significance of Jackie Robinson day, you know, that's a, that's April 15th. They, they make Jackie Robinson day. And so we interviewed, you know, a dozen players, you know, six on each side and Yogi Berra was sitting in the dugout and a guy, this guy, Steve, he, uh, he, he totally set me up. Uh, and he says, um, why don't you, uh, interview Yogi Berra? I was like, Yogi Berra, an icon. And he says, yeah, I'll introduce you. I'll, I'll set it up. 
get the camera ready and just ask him the significance of Jackie Robinson Day. And I said, excuse me, Mr. Barra, do you mind if we talk to you for, for a moment? And he said, sure, sure. And he sits me down. I sit right next to him. And I said, so tell me about the uh, significance. What, what comes to mind when, when Jackie Robinson comes up? And Yogi Berra, in his advanced age, starts screaming at the top of his lungs. He was out. He was out. I tell you, I tagged that mother. Blah, blah, blah. And he's screaming at me. And my friend Steve is like, yeah, I'd interviewed uh, Yogi Berra before. I knew he was going to do that. So <laughs> he, he totally set me up. And uh, yeah, that's one of my favorite, like all time icons. You know that the other one is um, Tommy Lasorda. Uh, called me a communist. Um, we were in, Daryl and I were in Japan and uh, we were calling play-by-play -play of the first round of the World Baseball Classic. Uh -huh. We were in Tokyo, Japan. And I had a very strict opinion about the World Baseball Classic. I thought it was played at the wrong time of year. Playing it in March before a 162-game season was stupid. And if it was important enough because of the international competition of it, play it in October or November and playing it in March. And I didn't know this, but Tommy Lasorda was an ambassador for the whole thing. And he was standing behind me. And I'm saying to Daryl, if I am a general manager of any team, I would not let my pitchers pitch in this thing. Well, Tommy Lasorda puts the headset on. I don't know that he's heard me. We go to commercial. It's the half inning. We welcome in former Dodger manager, Tommy Lasorda. And he started screaming. He says, you're an insult to your country. He said, you're a communist. He called me a communist. Wow. And Daryl was cracking up. And we just, I couldn't believe it. And fast forward three years, uh, we were at the winter meetings in, I want to say Orlando or Nashville, one of, one of the places where they hold the winter meetings. And I was actually doing a stage show and Griffey was with me and we were sitting there, you know, taking questions from the crowd, whatever. And somebody brought up the world baseball classic. And I, you know, we said the same thing, you know, the, the pitchers, it's all about the pitchers. And Griffey was totally understanding what I was saying. And all of a sudden we heard this scream come from the back of the audience it was Tommy Lasorda screaming at me again. <laughs> so when, when he passed, uh, we did a tribute podcast uh, to him on Sports with Friends, but we told that story. <laughs> you got Tommy going, Seth. Paul, Paul Schneider hosts the Sports Untold podcast with uh, also radio radio with, uh, with Seth Everett. Um, I, but I, Tommy Lasorda was a character. He was, everything I read, he was known to, to have some strong, he was, strong he opinions. He was nuts. He was certifiably nuts. It's certifiably certified. I have kind of a quick, cute uh, Yogi Berra story. I'll make it short. So there was a federal judge who died last year. I was friendly with guy named Wally McGovern. He died at 99 years old last year. And back in, I used to see Wally at my athletic club. And back in 2015, I said, judge, did you see Yogi Berra just turned 90? And McGovern was about 93 at the time. He goes, ah, he's just a kid. So I always thought that was kind of kind of cute that McGovern, three years older than than than, than Yogi Yogi Berra said that when when Yogi turned ninety. Um, sure. You know, I had a guest um, when I asked that question of, of who is a living sports figure you love to chat with, and um, KJR guy Chuck Powell, great great host, and Chuck actually answered um, one name he threw out was Kevin Costner. He thought that. Costner's sports movies are so fascinating. And he thought that Costner would be an interesting um, 
sports figure that he'd like to chat with. I got a question for you. And this, in, in my little circles of friends, this became a little, a little chat. Can you define a guy like Kevin Costner, an actor, as a sports-related figure? What, what do you think of that? What do you mean? What, I'm not sure yeah. what you're saying. Would, would, would you, do you think it'd be fair to, to, to put Kevin Costner, define him as a sports-related figure because he's been in so many sports movies? This is, yeah, but he's just, been in other movies, too. True, true. I mean, he's an actor. You know, he's, he's just an actor. That's like saying Wesley Snipes is only known as Willie Mays Hayes from Major League. You know, these guys are actors. I, th I think that that's great. I remember um, when uh, I had a chance to interview Ben Affleck for the Hall of Justice, and he had been in a, uh, a basketball movie uh, called uh, the No Way Out, or it was a basketball movie that came that. out yeah. in, in 2020 where he was a basketball coach. Right. And um, when I got there, uh, the PR person said, uh, the only thing you uh, can talk about is the, the basketball movie. And I said, guy's Batman. <laughs> like, <laughs> what are we talking about here? And uh, so we did this interview and I wound up putting it on sports with friends because it was a basketball interview, not, not, you know, not, not a, not a superhero interview. And, and it was very funny that Ben Affleck of all people, like I would have wanted to talk to him about Argo and all these other great movies, but, you know, it was just the sports thing. So I, I don't know. I just um, Kevin Costner. I'm trying to think Kevin Costner, you know, did one of those um, celebrity softball games at the All-Star game. And I think I interviewed him there. Oh, wow. wow. Um, I don't, yeah, I, I don't I don't know. I, I don't yeah. recall. Oh, yeah, I was just curious if you, you think yeah, he's yeah. fine as a sports-related figure because he's been in Field of Dreams, some of those movies. But anyhow, I just want to get your take. Yeah. All right, so so big news here. You can accuse me of a West Coast bias today, Seth. But yeah. but uh, big news that USC and UCLA are now it's going to be defecting from the Pac-12 and heading to the Big Ten. Um, is this story going to go down as one of the biggest sports stories of 2022? And will this go down as one of the biggest sports stories of the decade, USC and UCLA leaving the Pac-12? Well, it's a, it's a massive story, and it's, it's really a sports media story. Um, what you're seeing is another change uh, in the landscape. And what it's going to turn into is it's going to turn into these two uh, mega conferences, you know, the Big Ten and the SEC, and they're going to get the top dollar for their uh, television rights. And then there's going to be a second tier. And I just think that what's, what's turning out is unfortunate because on any given year, somebody from the sec, you know, we, we, I'm not naive. I know the ACC, for example, is not as big as the SEC. I, I know that. Right. But on any given year, a great team can, can, make the college football Cincinnati can make the college football playoff. Well, now everybody's going to want to play in those super conferences. And so it's going to kill the recruiting possibilities for all the outside tiers. So the PAC 12, the big 12, the ACC, they're all going to become like the second tier. Uh, I actually proposed on a radio show this morning that they should make it like the premier league out in uh, England hmm. and say that the teams that finish in last place should get sent down to the, to the second tier. You know, could you imagine if, uh, if, if, if uh, North Carolina, you know, wins the ACC championship and then go to the SEC for a year, you know, and, and just the idea that you're really going to have the haves and the have nots. If, you know, from a Seattle perspective, 
if you're Washington, uh, find some way to get the Big Ten to take you. Um, you know, Oregon, the same, same. But think about a team like Washington State. You know, I did their pre and post game one year back in 1999, I think. Um, they're going to be left in the dust. You know, my alma mater, Syracuse, is going to get left in the in the back. And um, I think it just show, goes to show you that the, the, the other lesson that's learned is how small basketball is compared to football. Um, there's rumors that Clemson is going to pay all the fines that, that the SEC is going to pay all the fines for Clemson to get out of the ACC. And no one's talking about Duke and North Carolina. And so if you think about that structure of where the super conferences are, it, it, Duke and North Carolina are not going to be able to recruit the same way they could because they're not going to be on television in the same way. You know, if Apple makes this big play uh, for the big 10 rights and that, you know, goes, you know, gives them money upon money, you're going to have the Big Ten, the SEC, and everybody else. And I think that's really sad. Um, I think that the transfer portal, there's always over a thousand players in the transfer portal right now. Um, I think college sports are falling apart, honestly. Um, I don't have a problem with the name, image, and likeness. It doesn't bother me. Um, you know, I, I, I never, uh, I, I'm not standing in their way of uh, potential earning, but I don't think that's the ruination. I think the ruination is there's no loyalty. Because if a player, if, if a kid falls in love with a wide receiver on the Washington Huskies and he doesn't like the coach, he can just go to the transfer portal and take off. And that's ridiculous. There's no, there's no value there. And so I think that uh, all the UCLA and USC story is, is the first domino to fall. But I think this is going to get a lot uglier before it's over. Big story this decade then. Oh, it's going to be a massive story. And it's not, you know, it's, it's very funny because I'm tempted to do next week's uh, sports with friends on it. Um, but then I'm like, is it going to be dated in two weeks? You know, it's it some seismic shift and uh, you know, it's, it's, you know, kind of that, you know, Seth, you brought school. up a lot there. And one thing you brought up is absolutely fascinating that I hadn't thought of that maybe an American sports league could incorporate more of a European style. Oh, I would love it. Oh, that, that's just my me spitballing. I mean, that's. No, but I think it's I haven't heard that. That would be a fantastic thing. For those of you who don't know, there's 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 the the, the Premier League, which is the top league, uh, in in European in in English football, and in um in in England itself, there is something called the Champions League, which is like their Triple A, and every year the top three the top three teams, uh, who win in the championship league, their reward is they're now in the premier league and the bottom three teams, they get sent down. They're relegated to the lower league. And I, I think it's fascinating because if, you know, I, as I said, I watched the premier league very intently, the games, they were, they were games where the teams were fighting for their premier league lives. Right. Could you right. imagine in the NFL, just use the NFL as an example, the Jacksonville Jaguars having a massive game in week 17, they need it or else they're sent down to the minors. Well, think about that in college football and just the idea that you'd want to make sure that your program wins is at all costs, just to make sure that you stay in the sec or the big 10. I, I, I would love it. I think it would be amazing. I just for college passing. It'd be very unique if, if a if a if a major American league at the college or pro levels. And well, it could only happen in college because players' unions wouldn't allow it. Yeah, that's a good point. You so know, much. so so it could only happen in college. And if you're going to restructure the whole thing, well, do it well. 
absolutely interesting idea. You know, you mentioned Softy, who I know too. He was on my show uh, oh, good. a couple of years ago. Great guy. And um, Softy said something on his show that I didn't hear it was mentioned to me, Seth. Softy suggests, I don't know if this is Dave's opinion, but he suggests that Washington should consider going independent and not join a conference. Softy no. threw out that idea. Apparently, what do you think? No, I think, I think what's going to happen, the only difference is there's a chance that there's three super conferences, and that's if Notre Dame goes to the ACC. But from my money, I think Notre Dame has to make a decision. And you know, it goes back to what we were talking about in the beginning with uh, linear television. You know, Right now, Notre Dame gets money from NBC. And if they were to go to the Big Ten, I heard this this morning, what if they offer up that their home games remain on NBC, but that their road games go to whatever conference they go to? And if I was Notre Dame, now, I don't understand Notre Dame. I don't understand the allure of Notre Dame. I, it goes back to the whole religion thing. I, I don't get it. Um, I don't have a problem with it. I don't have a bias against it. I just, it's not my thing. But if I was Notre Dame, I would go to the Big Ten. Because if you go to the Big Ten, now you're in this mega conference. And I think that there's value there. Um, having said that, that crushes the ACC. If Notre Dame takes Notre Dame football and puts it in the ACC, so you have Clemson and Notre Dame in one conference, that gives that conference a chance to get rights deals that are similar to what the Big Ten and the SEC has. As a Syracuse fan, that would be wonderful because that means the ACC is a big player. But I don't see that happen. I don't see why Notre Dame would leave independent status to go to the ACC. I do see why they would go to the Big Ten. If I'm Washington, I go with Oregon and I say to the Big Ten, please take us. Because you don't want to get lost. I'm telling you, you know, the, the city of Seattle, they love that program. And I respect the heck out of it. If they're going to do it, then do me a favor. Uh, make sure that you get in one of these mega conferences. Because if you don't, you're going to be one of the afterthoughts. Could be a Washington, Oregon package. Now, I'm going to ask you something else. I had a guy on my show a couple of years ago. I like how you tell me that you're going to ask me something. Well, maybe it's a little habit. You could, <laughs> well, you tell me, you say, I'm going to ask you something. I, I know you're going to. Okay. All right. Well, <laughs> I, I, we'll have our little quirks, I guess, you know. With, with, you know. I'm just uh, trying to ju- bust your chops. Yeah, I deserve it. Deserve it. I can handle it. Um, and yeah, I had a guy in my show. He's a professor at Smith College, a sports economist, and Andrew Zimbalist. Oh, and sure. Zimbalist is very interesting. And he has written um, in various books and articles he believes that the NCAA is not a sustainable economic model he believes it needs to be abolished and he believes congress needs to step in and start a new federally chartered sports college sports athletic organization are we getting closer to that happening at some some point what do you think of Zimbalist's idea well maybe you know i think you know what has happened when, when the transfer portal was announced, I thought it was a COVID thing. And it was because some programs were treating COVID more seriously than others. And I think that was the genesis of it. What's changed is now that we're kind of past that, not that COVID's gone, but you know, we're not letting it impact sports the way it, it did. I think that now 
this transfer portal has just changed everything. Um, I, I, you know, growing up in the Northeast, college sports were never a big deal to me. Um, when I got to college and learning what the Big East basketball was, I thought that was the best. And uh, that was a lot of fun. As a Syracuse fan, I never cared that Syracuse went to the ACC because the ACC doesn't mean anything to me. And, you know, th that, that's the funny thing is I'm fighting to, to argue for the preservation of a conference that I don't even like. <laughs> and um, it's just funny how like this realignment brings strange bedfellows. Um, I think that college sports, I've never understood why some college sports uh, exist. Whereas other sports have minor leagues, like there's minor league hockey and there's minor league baseball, but there's not minor league basketball. And now you're starting to see that with the evidence of the G league. And what I've thought is, and I've talked to some NBA people about this is that, you know, if this transfer portal really makes the, the, the college scene untenable, that I think that the G league will expand and that more players will just go straight to the G league. I think that that'll happen. And that'll be the end of college basketball. Again, there's so much money in that tournament. Now, what I'm, what I want to make sure there's a clear note here is that the tournament is valuable. The regular season is not the regular season ratings have been hitting all time lows, whereas the tournament has been hitting all time highs. So it's really just that tournament that's keeping college basketball afloat. What do you think, though, the idea of just abolishing the NCAA and starting all over with a new organization? Well, the NCAA to me is a is a paper thin uh, group. There really isn't any they don't have any real power. The power and COVID showed you this. Uh, the power is in the conference. And so when you have these uh, these major conferences, um, the SEC is going to want to retain uh, some level of its own control, as would the Big Ten. And if those are the two mega conferences, they'll run college sports the way they are. The NCAA does nothing. And they, they you know, no, I don't think any self-respecting uh, um, fan of sports has any respect for what the NCAA is because they, they, they don't defend players. They don't help players. They weren't looking out for players. They were letting the SEC throw these players when COVID was something we didn't know anything about, and they were threatening them with their scholarships, and the NCAA did nothing to protect them. If the NCAA had any spine, any power, they would have stepped in. And what I thought was shameless is how the Pac-12 stood their guns until they saw what everybody else did and said, nope, nope, well, if they're doing it, we got to do it. And the ACC was even more shameless because the ACC was set to cancel everything. And then all of a sudden the SEC said, well, we're playing hell or high water. We're playing. And the next thing you know, uh, the ACC is like, oh, we're going to play too. We'll do whatever you guys do. And it's just like, you know, again, there's no governing body. So you know, a lot of people would say the NCAA has already gotten it. Um, a lot there again. Um, with the NCAA, I find it kind of interesting, Seth, putting on my legal hat for a second. It's taken courts to help clean up the NCAA. I don't think they've done a very good job regulating themselves. That's my two cents. What do you think of that? Yeah, it's just it's 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 kind of a sham of an organization. It's just they haven't done anything. Seth Every tells it like it is. <laughs> I, I, not not a whole lot of sugarcoating here for sure. Seth, yeah. you've covered you've covered a lot of teams. I know. I think we covered the Sonics at one time. What yep. was the most interesting team you covered in your career? Maybe not the best team, this, but the team that stood out for the most like interesting characters or whatever. Well, you know, it was a time in my life when uh, 
when I was of a certain age where I related to players differently and that's what made them interesting. Um, I'll tell you two quick stories. Um, uh, the first one was the, uh, the mid nineties, um, the Denver Broncos. Uh, I was their beat reporter, but I was on the radio. So I wasn't trying to get scoops or stories, you know, I was just trying to, you know, get sound and, and be on the air and, and know what was going on with the team. And I was really young. <laughs> I was really shy and, uh, I didn't know anybody. And, uh, if you watch the, the first like six weeks of that football season, uh, I didn't, um, I didn't talk to anybody one-on-one. It was just scrums. I was, I was really young and it's just starting. And then uh, I remember the day it was week seven uh, of my first year covering the Broncos. And I overheard a couple of players telling me that they played Madden football. And I walked over, I got some courage and I went over them and I said, did I hear you guys, right? You guys play Madden football. And uh, they said, Oh yeah, we love that game. We play online. I said, yeah, how do you play online? And the, what you had to do back then was you had to dial one computer to contact the, the other computer and they could play Madden football against each other. And I was like, I'd totally do that. And the next thing you know, fast forward the end of that season, we started a Madden football league with like eight players, a bunch of front office people and a couple of media people. And we did it. And then that year, that second year, uh, the Broncos beat the Packers in Super Bowl 32. Um, and if you look at that footage, you'll see a 24-year-old me, skinny little me, uh, on the sideline. Um, you know, I, I was there when uh, Terrell Davis had a, a migraine headache and he couldn't see. And Coach Shanahan put him in the game and they said, but Coach, I can't see. And he says, it's okay. You're a decoy anyway. And they put him in and John Elway ran in for the touchdown. And, um, I was there. I, w- I was a, a big part of that. They actually invited me into their float for the parade. And Love so, they, you know, from my personal standpoint, that was really uh, interesting. The other example I would have to say is the 2000 Mariners, um, the team that won the wild card on the last day of the season. Um, cause it led to me leaving Seattle and I didn't know that then. And you could, you could argue that the existence of my children is because of one baseball game. There was the Sunday afternoon in Anaheim. The Mariners had it set up where if they won, they won the wild card. And if they lost, they didn't. And I was in Anaheim with KJR and I didn't have any dreams of leaving. I I, I was, as a matter of fact, I was looking at apartments. My lease was up and I was going to move. Um, and they won that final game of the season. That was the first time I'd ever been in a champagne uh, situation in baseball. And uh, they won. They wound up going to play the White Sox in the playoffs. And I traveled with them. And then they wound up playing the Yankees in 2000. That's the year of the Subway Series. But uh, that, that series between the Yankees and the Mariners, that's when uh, Arthur Rhodes gave up the home run to David Justice. Uh, Daryl used to say there's no justice since, since Dave retired. Um, and little did I know that, uh, I had met, um, the people at major league baseball because I covered that series. They were all at that series and we wound up having lunch and I wound up doing an appearance on one of their shows. And, um, little did we know that after that season ended, uh, we, about six weeks later, I went back to New York for an interview, uh, to work for the league. And 
I'm convinced that I do not ever uh, get that interview without they would have no reason to interview me. I didn't even know there was a job um, they without that game. So that win on that Sunday uh, changed my life. And I didn't know it at the time. At the time, I thought it was just a fun party. And, uh, there, you know, one, one little funny story is uh, I was, you know, not flying with the team. Um, so I had to fly commercial and I flew through Vegas and my luggage stayed in Vegas. And I had changed my shirt because my shirt was drenched in champagne. I had changed my shirt and I put on a Superman t-shirt. And when my luggage never arrived in Chicago, uh, I had a windbreaker and I zipped the windbreaker up all the way to cover up the Superman shirt. And I was so self-conscious and I was in the team hotel. I remember coming down the escalator to go on the bus and uh, Arthur Rhodes looks right at me and he just goes, what the hell are you wearing? I was so nervous. Arthur Rhodes. Um, and, the, and another interesting nugget about that season is uh, I was a witness to Alex Rodriguez uh, get, buying gifts for all the receptionists in the, in the office, in the, in the front office. And he, he bought them all gifts because he was leaving. And he had made a deal in spring training that he wouldn't talk about it, uh, his contract until the end of the season, wherever that ended. And so that night when they, they left, I rolled on about 30 minutes of Alex Rodriguez, just BSing all his way through all this stuff about how he wanted to stay. And if they were, he was going to leave, he would have to sign with a team that was rich in tradition and uh, had a good farm system, all this nonsense. And ironically, I gave the tape uh, to KJR. Uh, you know, that was my job, you know, so it was there. And then when I left, um, I left from MLB when Alex, I had started at major league baseball, uh, at that winter meetings, when Alex signed with Texas and when he did, uh, KJR was playing the audio of my interview with him where he was saying all these, these lies. And that's when the whole thing started. Um, so yeah, a lot of interesting things happened that year. I, that, that 2000 team, I know that everybody talks about the 2001 team and I covered the 2001 team, but I did it from major league baseball. And because the Mariners were so good and because I had just left, I went back like six times during the year. So I saw a boatload of their games and I knew all the players and all those, uh, John Halama was a dear friend of mine. Uh, Mike Cameron's a good friend of mine. Um, you know, Griffey, uh, just, just a, a, Griffey wasn't on that team, but, uh, just a, a bunch of great people. And, uh, yeah, uh, if, the two most interesting teams were the 1997 Denver Broncos and the 2000 Seattle Mariners. What? What? Those are just great team examples. You knocked the ball out of the park with your answer to that question. Oh, those, those are just great ones. And, and we can't forget, Ricky Henderson was a member of that 2000 Mariners team. So. Yes, that's when the made-up story happened, when uh, Ricky Henderson told John Olerud that he played on uh, the Mets with a guy who wore a helmet in the field. Uh, that was totally made up by the players. And it was reported by a lot of New York media that uh, Ricky Henderson said to John Olerud, Hey, I played with a guy with the Mets that wore a helmet in the field. And that, that totally never, never, never happened. Yeah, never I do know a great Ricky Henderson story when he was with the Padres. Mm -hmm. um, uh, they were going on to the, the plane, you know, when you're on a, on a uh, chartered plane, you go outside and you walk up the stairs, right. you don't go through the airport. And um a bunch of players went over. Ken Caminiti went over to Ricky Henderson and said, 
Ricky, you get first dibs on the plane. You've got tenure. And Ricky Henderson looked at him and said, tenure. Ricky got 15 years. <laughs> I saw ESPN uh, special on 30 and 30 on Ricky Henderson. When he went back and tried to play in the minor leagues, like age 47 or something like that. Yeah. He's an interesting guy. An interesting. Well, guy. I'm a big believer that in the media, it is never your uh, position to t- take where you never can tell an athlete to retire. Unless you've done it, you can't tell a, an athlete to retire. So if an athlete wants to play until he's 65, that, that's his prerogative. What I don't like is when you retire and get all the accolades and then come back, you know, Brett Favre, Roger Clemens, uh, Brady, you know, if, if you're going to retire, if you're going to go through the process of get the accolades and have us all praise you, then do me a favor, stay retired. You got time for a couple more questions. I'll let you go. Yeah, I'm fine. I'm good. Great. I'm great. Uh, favorite sports movie. Favorite sports movie, The Natural. That's one, one of my, of my top movies. five movies of all time. Great movie. I've actually mentioned that as one of my favorite sports movies in Natural. Um, I liked uh, Hoop Dreams, We Are Marshall, all those different movies have come out. Yeah, but I, Natural is a heck of a movie with Redford. Great movie, yeah. Great movie. Great. I, I like the, the the mystic side of it, and, and it, great one. Yeah, I, sure. That's, on, that's really high on my list, too. Um, what's a question, Seth, you did not ask in an interview that you wish you asked for some reason you'd not ask the question you forgot you got cold feet or it doesn't like timing what, what's what's a, what's a question you wish you would ask somebody that you didn't ask <laughs> that's a really it's a really embarrassing story <laughs> not trying to embarrass you i'm just curious i was in uh i was in uh italy <laughs> you're laughing um i was in italy uh covering formula e uh it's electric car racing uh, it's something I'm really fascinated by. Um, it's it, 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 if your listeners can check it out, check out Formula E. It's the only sport that's going to actually change the world because these uh, these teams are racking their brains trying to come up with these energy efficient cars, and that technology is going to be used to make our cars uh, energy efficient. Um, so that's why I, that's how I got behind it. I actually interviewed uh, Richard Branson um, wow. for my podcast because of Formula E. So anyway, uh, we were at Formula E and they knew I had the Hall of Justice podcast. So the guys at Formula E say to me, hey, if we walk down uh, towards the starting gate, because what Formula E does is they take city streets. So it's not like uh, a track. You know, it's 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 nothing like NASCAR. And you, you, so, so they say, go to the corner over here. Let's go over there. Idris Elba is going to be there. And I, they, he says, you can talk to him for your Hall of Justice podcast. Now, he was in all the Marvel movies. You know, he was in Thor and, you know, he was in Avengers and all these movies. And the guy says, now, uh, he told you, he, he, he thinks you can only ask two questions. But Idris was so nice that I just started a conversation like I, I, I was casual with him. And I said, I said, uh, how do you like Formula E? And he said, this is marvelous. This is so cool. Very cool. And blah, blah, blah. I said, did you did you ride in a car? And he's like, yeah, I rode in a, in a car and it was, it was really awesome. And now I'm about to ask him, like, what was it like being in the Avengers? <laughs> and the PR guy comes out of nowhere and says, I told you two questions. He's got to go by. That's funny. <laughs> so That's I met funny. Idris Elba and didn't ask him anything. I just chit chatted with him for two minutes. I couldn't use it for anything. And it was such a it was such a dumb move. And I had him, but I didn't talk to him. 
A little mix up there, but that's 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 actually a very unique story of a question <laughs> that you wish you asked, you didn't ask. Um, hey, what's going? Tell us about your course at Syracuse University. Oh, uh, I teach a podcasting course. Um, you know, and what it what it is is, you know, there. Uh, I think the Newhouse School is is doing what uh, a lot of institutions are doing is recognizing digital media. And uh, they knew about uh, the success of Sports with Friends and Hall of Justice. So they had reached out to me like four years ago and said, would you teach a class? And so what I did was I created a class where the students uh, create, design, produce, and host a pilot episode for their own podcast. And uh, what we do is we have a deal with the distribution company that my podcast go under uh, and they, we, we put them out into the world and they have something. And what, so at the end of the semester, the students actually have a podcast. They have something that they could send to a potential employer as opposed to a grade, you know, something like that. So it's a really, really uh, neat thing. I've taught sports media at Seton Hall. I've taught at uh, St. John's, um, but this is a, it's a really fun project. Plus it's an excuse to drive up there. I live about three and a half hours away and so I, what I do is, you know, every two or three weeks I go up there and it's uh, a chance to go home again. You know, it's, it's, it's a lot of fun. Professor Everett. I like it. I like it. Uh, I got I think, two more questions, Seth. Uh, who, who's the who's your favorite uh, broadcaster you've admired the most over the years, living or deceased? Ooh, favorite broadcaster. Um, my favorite broadcaster was a guy that I never met. Uh, well, no, I actually I'm going to change my answer. Uh, favorite broadcaster is a guy I have met and he's actually going to be on sports with friends in uh, September. He, he asked me to reach out to him after the summer, uh, Gary Thorne, uh, Gary Thorne, um, was uh, the New York Mets announcer when I was growing up. Um, I wasn't a Mets fan, but you know, radio was the way you got sports media and he called the 1986 world series. Um, and then in 1987, he got a job as the play-by-play -play voice of my beloved hockey team, uh, the New Jersey Devils. Um, cool little nugget about the Devils and me. Uh, I moved to New Jersey the same day that the Devils franchise moved from Colorado. Um, you know, I was eight years old and my father uh, took us to, to get ice cream. And uh, he said, uh, we, we saw a newspaper. It was the first time I saw a newspaper that wasn't like, didn't look like the Daily News the New York daily news. And this, the headline was New Jersey's getting pro hockey today. And I was like, what's hockey. And, you know, I'd never seen it. And so I became a fan since literally minute one. Um, and Gary Thorne was their announcer for, I think their first 10 years. And he called the first time they ever made the playoffs. And I just, I can remember the call. I could recite that call. Um, I've gotten to work with some hall of famers, you know, working with Dave Niehaus was amazing. Um, uh, Rick Riz, uh, Ron Fairley, uh, those guys are just uh, amazing. I have a great friendship with um, with Dave Sims. Um, Been my show, great guy. Yeah, I've known Dave for for decades now, and um, there's wonderful people. But for me, it was from growing up. You know, and most people have their favorites from when they were growing up. Um, and so, yeah, Gary Thorne, and I can't wait to have him on the podcast. Well, can't wait to listen. I don't care if anybody hears it. It's just going to be self-serving for me. <laughs> can't wait to hear him on Sports and Friends with you. Well, Seth, this will be my, my final question. I really appreciate you being very generous with your time. And uh, oh, thanks for having me. 
been a lot of fun. And I, my final question for you, what is in the future for Seth Everett? What is what? The what is future? in the future for Seth Everett? Yeah. Uh, well, hopefully I finish editing in my immediate future. Um, you know, right now I'm, I'm, I'm focused mostly on uh, my, my family, my, my, my wife and my children and uh, their health and happiness. Um, that's, that's my future. Great. Great. Seth, thank you so much for doing this. Want to get you on for a while. And I, I really appreciate you coming to the 118th edition of the sports untold podcast. 118th. Huh? Also rainy ever. Yeah. Learning by doing, but I'm having, having a heck of a time. It's I, I call it my middle-aged diversion for my law practice. We're having a lot of fun doing this. So it's, it's right. a lot of fun to have you on. Well, I'll have to call you if Warner brothers ever calls up, comes after me for the hall of justice. I'll say, it. well, yeah, well, yeah, yeah, I'll well, say it was okay. Yes, uh, yeah. 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 You, you get what you pay for at legal advice sometimes, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, thank you so much for coming on. I had a great time. Uh, thanks for having me, man. You too. Thanks.